Christians, but I want to talk about those of us that have made mistakes before, that are, that are deeply flawed, and, and you feel like there's some things in your life that maybe you just can't overcome. You, you can't seem to get over that thing, that there's something in your life where maybe you're pegged as such and such, or, or uh, those kind of things stick with you throughout your life, and maybe it's been like that since you were a kid. I know that's the way it is for me. There's a lot of things in my life that it's like I'm the perennial screw-up. Uh, and I don't know if there's anybody here that can relate to somebody like that, but I want to look at the life of Peter. Peter, for those of us that are the perennial screw-ups, uh, Peter is a great story for us, a great person to look at. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, I want to look at, as quick as I can, I want to look at the life of Peter. There's a lot of verses we could go through, but I'm gonna, I want to just kind of highlight three and, and realize, please bear with me, that these are not perfectly in context. I understand that. Normally, I wouldn't choose to do it this way, but I do want to look specifically at the narrative of the life of Peter and see what we can draw from that. Uh, he'd be a great study to look up on your own someday if this interests you. In Matthew 14, we see here, um, we're going to pick up in verse 22 in just a minute, but before we do, uh, Peter, his name uh, was originally Simon, uh, also Simeon, which was a very common Jewish name in the New Testament. And he was nicknamed Peter or Kephas or Cephas, which is the Aramaic version. And Petros is Peter in Greek. And he was nicknamed this by Jesus. And uh, that name Petros means rock. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Peter and his brother Andrew came from this area called Bethsaida in Galilee. Bethsaida was on the western coast of the Sea of Galilee. And here he was brought up on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and he was trained in the occupation of a commercial fisherman. His father had probably died, since scripture doesn't mention him, while he was still young, and he and his brother were brought up under the care of Zebedee and his wife Salome. They are the parents of James and John, who are also part of the original 12 disciples. Simon, Andrew, James, and John likely spent their youth and adulthood in constant fellowship. Simon and his brother would have had some religious training and would have been instructed in the scriptures and the great prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. However, they would not have likely had any special training like under a rabbi as Paul did. Um, we see later on in the book of Acts, interestingly enough, speaking about Peter being sort of uh, less than perfect, Peter and John appear before the Sanhedrin, and they boldly testified about Jesus and the resurrection, yet they were called foolish, ignorant, unlearned men by those that were uh, in attendance. Yet Peter and Andrew were chosen and called by Christ to become fishers of men in Matthew chapter 4. Later, they were also selected as two of the original 12 to be an apostle and follow Jesus. With these things in mind, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. In verse 22, we'll pick up. And this passage falls directly after Luke chapter 9, verses 12 through 17, and the feeding of, 5, 000, the feeding of the 5,000, which Albie talked about just a couple weeks ago. If you want to go back, that's a great listen go back and listen to to get that context. So this is right after that event. And this event that we're about to read was not recorded by Luke in his gospel, but is mentioned by the other three gospel writers. However, neither Mark or John mentioned this event specifically dealing with Peter. Matthew is the only one who mentions this. This is why I chose Matthew to read about this event. In Matthew 14, verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat, speaking about Jesus. And remember, this is right after he feeds the 5,000. 
And he goes before the, them, he has them go before him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he stayed back and dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was long away from the land. In the Greek, it's the word mini stadia. They would have been about at least two miles away probably. Beaten by the waves for the wind was against them in the fourth watch of the night, which is about nine hours later after Jesus had dismissed them. He came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. If you might recall from Justin's message a few weeks ago, you can tell I'm kind of pushing the Elm City sermons here a little bit, but uh, uh, they didn't ask me to do that. But um, it just actually, I think it's the, the, the providence of the Lord to do such thing. But uh, Justin talked about how this is not a singular event. In Matthew 18, we record, uh, is recorded for us another time where Jesus calmed the storms, right? So this isn't unique to them to see Jesus act in a supernatural, spiritual way. Uh, and in verse 28, we see here that Peter probably recalling the previous event and seeing Jesus' power over the storm, he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water with you. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. What a great, amazing story here. Peter has some serious boldness and some serious faith to be able to go and walk out on the water. I don't know about you, but there is zero chance that I'm ever going to do that in that moment. I'm going to be the guy to walk out and say, hey, can I come out on the water with you in the middle of this deep sea, in the middle of the early morning hours, and it's still pitch black? Nope. And I'm not afraid of the water by any means, but I'm not doing that. Uh, This is a pretty crazy story. But Jesus, uh, but we see here in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out. Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got on the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. We see here Jesus rebukes Peter for walking on water and having the faith to get out of the boat. To me, it's a little bit crazy in a sense. I mean, think about what about the other 11 guys who don't even dare to get out of the boat? Where is their faith, right? Does anybody else think that when they're reading this? Like, poor Peter, I feel bad for the guy. That's what I'm thinking. Like, what the heck? What about those losers that are staying in the boat? (laughs) Don't even dare get out. What kind of faith did they have? But we see here, there's there's a teaching moment here that Jesus is using. And what I think he's saying to Peter, and we'll come back to this, is just keep doing what you're already doing. You've already, you're already here. I'm already protecting you. I'm already the one allowing you to walk on the water. You realize that can't be done, right? So why would you doubt that I'm going to let you drown? I'm right here. And and Peter takes his eyes off Jesus, sees the circumstances around him, and begins to doubt. And then he starts to sink. Turn with me to Matthew 16, two chapters later. We're going to start... In Matthew 16, verse 13, we see here again in the life of Peter a great story, 
a great event. In verse 13, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Or excuse me, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter boldly replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is awesome. He gets it. Peter, if you look at the life of Peter, we're going to begin to see these moments in Peter's life of these really high peaks and these very low lows. And it's continual. That's why I chose Peter to look at, to study, and just kind of do a brief snapshot of his life. And right now, as he's on a mountaintop, he's on a pinnacle. We see Peter understands who Christ is, and Jesus responds in verse 17, and he says, Blessed are you, son Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... Remember that Peter means rock. So you are rock, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is a passage that's often misunderstood, but I think one of the benefits of doing this narrative look at the life of Peter is we see Peter wasn't anything special. In and of himself, he was just like the rest of us, imperfect and flawed. I don't think there's any indication in the course of Scripture that what, Peter, what Jesus is telling Peter is, Peter, you're something special, and because of your specialness, I'm going to build my church on you. Don't, I don't think that's what the text is saying here, and we're going to continue to see why that's the case. I think... Jesus, over the course of Peter's life and the time with the disciples, reveals why Peter was called the rock. What about it in Peter's life made him like a rock? In verse 21, we'll pick up here and we see again, go from this mountaintop experience to right after. There's no indication of how the timeline is here, but this is the immediate course of events is the next event. In verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And now Peter took him aside and, and began to rebuke him. That alone is an, an altercation that basically, culturally speaking, would never have happened uh, in a rabbi-disciple relationship. Never. Never would have happened where you could rebuke your rabbi like that. And Peter takes him aside and says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Pretty brazen. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, Ugh, I get chills thinking of that, of Jesus calling Peter a part of the will of Satan. He said, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus rebukes Peter very harshly here. Maybe Peter isn't so rocky after all, so great, so firm. What about Peter is, is something that any one of us would choose to build anything on? I don't know about you, but if we we're going to build a Fortune 500 company, I don't think this is the guy we would pick as our CEO. 
he seems to be pretty flawed to me. Peter continues to show highs and lows in his life. Peter is present at Christ's transfiguration. We see from several different events that Peter was part of the inner circle uh, that was spent the most time with Jesus. And one of those events was the transfiguration. Peter was also present at the raising of uh, Jairus' daughter. Peter was also present in the Garden of Gethsemane. Among the disciples, Peter is credited with being a leader of the 12 disciples. His name always occurs first in the list of disciples. Peter frequently served as a spokesman for the disciples and was usually the one who raised questions which they all seem to be asking. You can look later in Mark chapter 10 and 11. And this is fascinating because as we mentioned, as I talked about, as this whole sermon is built around, that Peter is a perennial, big mouth screw-up. He was full of zeal, but most often lacking any kind of patience, discretion, or wisdom in the things he would say and do. And for me, if anybody knows me, I'll be probably going, amen. That sounds a lot like myself. Um, I'm always putting my mouth before my brain (laughs) or any patience or any wisdom. I'm always stepping out before I should and doing things I'll regret later. I fortunately got a little bit wiser in my old age, but but I certainly can't take any credit of being anything great in myself, and neither could Peter. And maybe some of you are here this morning and you feel like that. Maybe you feel like, I just am not good enough, and I'll never be good enough. I just constantly make mistakes, and I don't seem like I can ever get over them. Yet this is the guy, this guy, Peter, is the guy, is the person that Jesus handpicked to lead his disciples and ultimately start his church. This is the guy. Why? Why? Still, we see in the life of Peter, even though there's times where it seems he's getting it, we see also these great, massive failures that are recorded for all of history for us to look at and see. Peter, when Jesus said, I'm going to wash the disciples' feet in John 13, Peter said, no, you will not wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And then Peter says, fine, wash all of me, right? He jumps all in, this very zealous, extreme guy. Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, the high priest's servant's ear, when they come to get Jesus in John 18, right? He's ready to fight. Peter is just not getting it. It's not clicking in. He's not fully getting all of the teaching of Jesus. He's not fully allowing the teaching of Jesus to settle in his heart. Because there's times where he gets it, right? He says he's your son of God. And on that knowledge, Jesus said, I'm going to build the church. He's getting moments, these flashes. He walks on the water with Jesus while the other 11 guys just sit there and cower in the boat probably in amazement. But then there's these great times where he just royally screws up. And the greatest of them all, we won't have time to go to it now, but many of you are familiar. In Matthew 26, Peter after Jesus is taken and arrested, after Peter cuts off the servant's ear ready to fight, Peter's taken and arrested and beaten and persecuted by both the Jewish leadership and also the Roman government. And during this time, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus, that he ever even walked with him, that he even knows who he is. He denies him three times. And Jesus prophesied that he would. Peter the leader of all of the 12 disciples. 
is the guy who screws up the biggest and the biggest, most clutch moment. He's the guy who throws the interception to end the game, just like last night in the Clemson-Ohio uh, State game. <laughs> Poor guy. Feel bad. But that's, that's where we're at in the life of Peter right now. I mean, he denies him. He, he royally screws up. And it seems as if, if we were just judging by what man sees, Peter, his journey is over. His journey should be done. In John 21, we're going to end with this passage here, and I'm going to skim over some of it, most of it. In John chapter 21, after denying Jesus three times that he even knew who he was, after Jesus was crucified and rose again, Peter, we see here in verse 3, says, I'm going back to fishing. (laughs) That's it, I'm done. I'm going to go back to what I know, and I'm just going to go do what I know. He's going to go back to fishing. And so in the beginning part of chapter 1, we see that Peter says in verse 4, verse 3, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, notice that he's a leader here. The other disciples said, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. As a side note here, notice there's sometimes that God chooses some of us to be leaders, and it has really nothing to do with us. You ever notice there's some temperaments, there's some personalities just happen to lead people that just happen that other people tend to follow them? And you see this in high school a lot. Anybody who's ever worked with teenagers or students, you see it a lot. It's glaringly obvious who's the cool person at the table. And, and that could be any number of things. It doesn't mean that they wear one set of clothing or another set of clothing. But any group, you're going to kind of have a natural leader that rises to the top. I coached a girl uh, in basketball, and she's like a daughter to us. And I used to tell her, you're a leader whether you want to be or not. You get to decide, though, if it's for good or for bad. And I think Jesus saw that in Peter. He saw that he already was a leader. Jesus' job was to try and make him into a good one. See, Peter, he's ready to quit, I think. The text doesn't say that, but I think it seems likely that he's defeated. He's ready to give up. He goes out into the water, ready to go fishing, and then the others, they follow, right? They follow him. So we see here this amazing event in John chapter 21 and verse 4 through Um, eight, we see that Jesus shows up. In verse seven, that the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, look, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it, it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Like jumped, I'm ready to go, right? You see this, man, this up and down of Peter. You know, in one minute, he's probably despondent, ready to quit and give up and go back to what he knows and go fishing. They don't catch anything. He's probably discouraged and frustrated. And then all of a sudden, I don't think the timing is by accident. Jesus shows up on the shoreline in his resurrected body. And he's there. And they recognize that it's him. And Peter says, yeah, I'm going. And he jumps right in. I'm going to get him. So there in verses 9 through uh, 14, Peter, or Jesus cooks up a meal with them. They have breakfast together. In verse 15, we're going to pick up here. In in verse 15, it says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. 
He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And this is a, one of the greatest moments of grace that we see in all of Scripture, where the guy who was the leader, the one that's the spokesman, the one that is clearly chosen to be the leader of the disciples, quits and fails, denies Jesus three times, and yet who goes to seek him out? Who goes to find him? Jesus does. As part of his mission, while that, that brief period of time after he rose again from the dead, he says, I've got to go get Peter. And I've got to go restore him. And I'm going to go lift him back up. I'm going to pick him up off of the ground and say, I'm with you. And as three times here, as if to totally wipe out Jesus, or Peter's three times of denying him, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And what I think he's saying there is, do what I've called you to do. Be who I've called you to be, and I'll be with you. We see here, Truly, truly, in verse 18, Jesus says, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this, it says in verse 19, he said to show what kind of death that he was to glorify God. Peter died, as legend tells us, as upside down, crucified upside down because he would not want to be crucified in the way that Jesus was. But this foretells that Peter was going to die as a martyr for, for his belief in Christ. And in verse uh, 19 here, it says, And after this, he said to Peter, follow me. For Peter, we see that this very flawed man, we see him go through these ups and downs in his life. But I think this moment is the most pivotal moment in his life. I think this moment is the moment that I want to really focus on for us to think about in our own lives. Maybe you are a quitter. Maybe you are a someday person. Maybe you are somebody who maybe that someday never seems to come. Don't quit. It's not too late for you. Just like Jesus didn't quit on Peter, I guarantee you, I promise you, he has not quit on you. It's not too late. It's not too late. In this event, after in John 21, we see here a transformed Peter from this moment on. We see Peter go from a coward to courageous, from prideful to humble, from boasting of self to now boasting of Christ. We see him being impulsive to now patiently enduring suffering. In time, he did become Cephas the rock. Indeed, as Jesus knew he would, but it did not come immediately and it did not come through perfection. It did not come cheaply either. And it also came because of the grace of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you the final verse I want to share. is 1 Peter 5. Peter reminds us in verses 5 through 7. For all of us to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, 
Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Maybe you're here today and like me, you felt like a failure or a quitter. That someday you could be better. Well, you're in the perfect place for God to use you. I pray that like me, you can find hope in the story of Peter, a flawed man whom God pursued and used for his glory.